Welcome once again to uh, Energy Talk at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. Uh, I'm Tony Anderson, General Manager, and uh, with me is Rachel Johnson, our grassroots advocate and member services manager. And Rachel's going to kick us off with a great topic today. Yeah, so one of the things we um, are kind of have going on right now in the U.S., we have several policy discussions going on about energy all at once. So the EPA recently um, released some rules for existing power plants that are going to have a tremendous impact on yep. our current generation fleet. And one of the pieces of that rule is that it's ultimately going to fall on the states to figure out how to become compliant with the EPA regulations. So there's going to be a lot of discussion at the state level about policy. Yep. And this is happening at the same time that Michigan's current energy policy, which is PA 295, is about to expire. Yep, that's a bill that was passed in 2008. Mm -hmm. And 2015 is time to re-up. So we're really kind of on the precipice of a big discussion about what kind of policy we will want for energy moving forward. And one of the places that we often hear has policies we should try to emulate is Germany. Correct. So Everybody wants us to follow the Germany example. Yes. So I thought it might be kind of cool for us to talk through a little bit about what their policy looks like, ways that it succeeded, and also areas we can learn from it to make sure that our policies um, really get us where we want to go. Yeah. And at the end, we'll give you some ideas of what we really want. So I think the, like, kind of just to start at the beginning, the one thing to understand is what was the purpose of Germany's energy policy. And they, they passed their policy in 2000. It was called their energy transformation policy. And their goal was to have a nuclear-free, carbon-reduced economy through the deploy, deployment of renewable technologies. Right. And, and what's confusing to me about that is why nuclear-free and carbon-free? Because there's no, let's make sure the listeners understand, and I'm sure they do, that there's no carbon involved with nuclear energy. It's as carbon-free as you can get. They, certainly there's the storage issue with the waste, but why would they go nuclear-free? I think that's the big question, absolutely. But I also think it's important to notice that what they're really saying is we want more renewables. So it's not just that they want carbon-free. It's that they want carbon-free with renewables, not nuclear. And you're right. There is a, a disconnect there because they had a carbon-free generation source, and they, they're decommissioning them. In fact, they're on track to decommission all their nuclear by 2022. So, and what's replacing it? A, a ton of solar and a ton of wind but they're also building some coal plants too. I heard 17 new coal plants are coming online in Germany over the next couple of years. And, um, and, and there's some implications to that, and we can talk about it as, as we dig into it. But one thing I wanted to just make really clear for people who aren't super familiar with their policy is they had a really specific mechanism for accomplishing this, mm -hmm. and it's called a feed-in tariff. Correct. And ultimately, the way a feed-in tariff works is if you install, for example, solar panels on your home, the utility is required to purchase the electricity you produce, all of it, regardless of what you use, at a fixed price, and that's the feed-in tariff price. Right. That price is not set by the market. It's set by the government, and you are guaranteed that price for a certain amount of time. So in Germany, you're guaranteed the price for 20 years. When they first started their feed-in tariffs, it was at about 75 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. To put that in perspective, our current retail rates here are about 11 cents a kilowatt hour. So yeah. there's a big disparity between what utilities were having to purchase their power and then what people were purchasing it back at. Yeah, they're going to spend about $31 billion on this subsidy in 2014 alone. And I think since the start of the feed-in tariffs in Germany, the, the number I found was $412 billion that they've spent on this feed-in tariff. Yeah, so it's, it's not inexpensive. And that's not being funded by a tax, necessarily. No. It's being funded by a levy on the electric bill. 
Right. So it's it's not across all taxpayers, but rather across all electricity users. Yeah, if you use electricity, the, the the FIT tariff gets put on your bill and you pay it. So, yeah, the politicians in Germany had a great escape there. Yeah, they we didn't won't call it a tax. <laughs> we'll just raise the electricity bill. Right. And their costs have gone up. The electricity in Germany in 2000, the year 2000, was 18 cents a kilowatt hour. I think they're now at about 38 cents a kilowatt hour, 36, 38 cents a kilowatt hour. Compare that to Cherryland Electric Cooperative. Our all-in cost today for uh, average residential person is probably 14 cents when you throw in the availability charge. So there's been a big increase in residential rates in Germany. Well, and at that same time in the U.S., our rates have been very stable. So regardless of kind of disparities in rates across mm -hmm. the U.S., generally across the U.S., you've seen a, a period of rate stability. Yeah, the average, uh, what is it, 13 cents a kilowatt hour is the average U.S. rate. Yeah, and, and that hasn't changed a lot. So, so there is a, a, certainly an expense borne by German rate payers to this policy. Mm -hmm. On the opposite side of that, people who are installing solar panels on their home are enjoying quite a bit of revenue off of that. Exactly. Right? We, yeah, because they're being subsidized. You know, they're recovering the cost of that solar installation very rapidly. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how many years, but it's like five to six years they're getting the cost of that solar system back. So they're, they're putting in more and more of these because it's a good return for the people putting in the solar. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things the government did is that they hugely underestimated the response. You know, they didn't, I don't believe they felt like that many people would put up the solar panels on their home when in turn they did to the tune of $31 billion a year now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just had a dramatic effect on their costs in Germany. Right. And, and just kind of one last piece about the feed-in tariff. It's a, the, the rate shifts from year to year, so it has gone down. So I, I mentioned 75 cents, but now it's at about 25 cents. So anyone putting new solar on their roof today is getting a guaranteed 20-year rate that's lower than someone putting solar panels on the roof 10 years ago. Right. So it has Same. changed, and that's partially been in response to how costly, like you said, so many more mm -hmm. people opted in, and yeah. that, that really drove you up. Were, it was certainly easier to get in 10 years ago than it is now. Right. You know, that, so they, they've learned a little bit, and they've choked that price down. But, it, but it's also made it tough for the people selling solar panels in Germany and the installers because the, the market has slowly gone away. Mm -hmm. They had a flood, and now it's trickling down. Mm -hmm. I, I won't say nothing, but it is a it is trickling down because the, the incentive isn't there if you're not overpaying for it. And we've been talking about solar, but they've also been seen an increase in other renewable technologies. So wind, a lot of biomass. Biomass is what the people don't talk about when they when they talk about the Germany example. To me, uh, they mention wind and solar, but they forget that 34% of what Germany is doing with renewables is biomass, and we have biomass in Michigan, but. We're not going to have biomass in Traverse City. We should probably explain really quickly how biomass works, because I think people are more familiar with solar and wind than maybe biomass. Probably. Yeah, biomass is essentially the burning of woody debris, trees, uh, trash, however you want to, whatever type of wood product you want to use. You can put it in a furnace and generate electricity. And it is good for generating electricity 24-7, 365. You know, biomass is ideal for that. The only other renewable form that's better is, is hydro. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the problems with wind and solar, obviously, is that the sun doesn't shine all day, the wind doesn't blow all the time. But people kind of want electricity most they, of the time. They do, and yeah, especially at Cherryland. They, they want it on all the time. 
So biomass is a renewable, but it does have emissions. It right, does. because it's, it a, does. it's a thermal yeah, we, form of generation. Yep. So you're burning something, mm -hmm. he, you're heating something up to turn a turbine. Yep. It, it, yeah, you, you definitely have some e emissions there. So uh, it, it was interesting when you brought up hydro because I was doing some research when we were thinking about coming in and doing this. And there are actually two countries that are 100% renewable right now. And I should know who they are because we talked about it, but you tell me. Okay, one is in South America, it's Paraguay, yep. and the other one is Albania. And the reason... Very small countries. Yes, they're very small, but the reason but they're 100% renewable is, is hydro. Is hydro. Yeah. There's nothing better than running water. You know, it's it's steady. It's 20, and, and again and again, it's 24-7 is what we're looking for in reliability and affordability, and hydro gives you that. Mm -hmm. um, we have some issues with uh, fish and other environmental issues in this country that have changed the outlook of hydro. And But Germany's expansion of renewables really hasn't been about hydro. It's been biomass, no, yeah. solar, and wind. And, and, Not and a so, lot of hydro opportunities in Germany. Sure. And, and if we go back to then kind of what, they're, what they said, we talked about how their policy works, but we said their initial goal was to deploy more renewables. That was one piece of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you can make the argument they've been successful they've in doing that. Hugely successful in deploying more renewables, no no question. Right. But the opposite side there, of that is they, they talk yep. about wanting to um, have a kind of a carbon-reduced economy. And to, to give you some numbers, they wanted to reduce their CO2 emissions by 90% from 1990 levels. Okay, so that was mm -hmm. that was their goal. Um, it hasn't been as successful as I think they probably hoped. No. It, it, well, it, again, it goes back to the cost. When, when you, they threw all those renewables on the market, it did drop their wholesale power costs. But those power plants are now struggling to make money. You, you, you have to pay for them. If you've got a coal plant, nuclear plant, whatever, it has to pay for itself. Somebody has to pay for that. So when, you have, when you're displacing all the nuclear and coal with renewables, you're shutting off the nuclear and the coal, and they're not able to generate revenue. Sure. And, that's causing some problems in Germany as well. Well, and the, no, absolutely. And, and, and it also puts stress on those plants because they're not designed to cycle in that way. But one interesting little, little tidbit, tidbit, between 2005 and 2011, here in the United States, we actually reduced our carbon emissions by more than they did in Germany. Mm -hmm. So without necessarily bringing all those renewables on, we were able to make, have a larger net decrease in emissions mm -hmm. than they did. Yep. And how did we do that? We did that with natural gas. And part, well, you're absolutely right. So part of it was us bringing on natural gas. We also had a little more to lose, right? It's, it's, yeah. So that makes a difference. But I think the other thing that's really hurt them is their decision to move away from nuclear. Mm -hmm. Because at the same time they were bringing in all these renewables, they're bringing on coal mm -hmm. in, in place of their nuclear. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's what I mentioned at the start of this is the total slap of the forehead is what are you shutting off nuclear for mm -hmm. if you want to be 90 percent carbon free by 2015 i don't know who in germany said well let's just shut off our nuke plants and then do that mm -hmm. it, it wasn't a well thought out process in my opinion looking from this side of the ocean because it, it just hasn't worked they're now building coal plants and their emissions are going up mm -hmm. they, they did see a decline i think through 2009, they saw a decline in their CO2 emissions. But now since 2009, uh, they've been ramping up their coal production and their emissions are now going up. And mm -hmm. why are they ramping up their coal production? They need something to back up all the wind and solar. Mm -hmm. The wind and solar is causing a problem on their grid 
because when it shuts off, something else has to turn on. Mm -hmm. And that's what people forget. They forget think you can just light up a solar panel and, and the wind always blows and it's not the case. Right. So what turns on when that wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? And it used to be nuclear in Germany. Now it's coal. Coal and, and biomass. Coal right. and, and biomass. I, I read something that while from a um, financial perspective, they've in, invested more money into solar, but they're actually receive and installed more solar, but they're receiving more electricity from their biomass. So that, that really puts the kind of the cost comparison in there. Like if I have $10 to invest in a renewable, mm -hmm. do I want to put that 10 into solar or do I want to put that 10 into biomass? Cause I'm going to get a lot more out of the biomass than I would have out of the solar. Yep. Yeah. So you got to think about it. If you're going to add a megawatt of solar, you have to add a megawatt of steel somewhere else. You have to have a, a gas plant, a coal plant, or a nuke plant to back up that solar panel when the sun doesn't shine. And that's what people forget. And that's kind of, I think the term is capacity. And I'm trying to think of the best example. If you took a cup of water and filled it all the way to the top, that's kind of what the grid is. That that cup of water's got to be just at the level of running over all the time. And so think of solar putting into that cup and wind putting into that cup and coal putting into that cup and now it's at the it's at the brim and it's a sunny day, it's a windy day and so you got to back off some coal. Well, then the the wind goes down, the sun goes down and that cup starts to the, you can't let that cup go down because the grid's got to be in balance. So you got to crank up the, soul, the, the coal and the nuclear again. And those plants just aren't made to be turned on and off. It's very disruptive. It's very expensive. And that therein lies the problem. You have to be building something all the time. And that's what they ran into was the fact that they built too much solar, too much wind, too fast. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't keep up with layering that in, bringing that in on a reasonable fashion. And so, so basically the intermittency of some of these renewable technologies causes them to have to have redundant capacity with some other right. more less intermittent, right. dispatchable right. Um, technology. You, yeah, if you're going to go all in with wind and solar, you, you got to phase it in. They, they just dumped it all on the grid at once. And... I like what we're doing in this country. We're not going whole hog with wind and solar for a lot of reasons, but we're able to work it into the grid right now. Mm -hmm. And certainly as coal plants shut down, and there's a lot of talk about that, we're, we're going to have to be careful about keeping that cup full, mm -hmm. keeping that grid balanced in the future. But hopefully we're in the planning stages of some stuff, and, and we will be able to do that. They did not do that in Germany. They just boom, gave a huge incentive for renewables, and it came. Well, and the other piece, I don't think we probably have time to go into this today, but if you're not going to have the backup of, like you talked about, coal, nuclear, natural gas, then you need some other kind of utility-scale storage backup. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't change the fact you need something that's there when you need it, regardless of what's going on with the sun or the wind or these other externalities we can't control. Correct. So basically, it seems to me like, the lesson learned here is that maybe expanding renewables indiscriminately isn't necessarily the best way to decrease emissions. That's correct. That's what Germany has shown me anyway, is you throw a bunch of renewables on there. If you're going to be competitive with your manufacturing, which is the reason they're building the, the coal plants, is 
their electric rates are not competitive. They're losing exports. They're losing business to other countries because their electric rates are so high they can't compete with their goods that they produce for a global scale. So you have it, it, it goes back to affordability for the residential consumer and the people buying the widget from Germany. I read uh, something saying that between 2008 and 2013 that Germany uh, had $67.6 billion in net export losses because of their high energy costs. Yep, and those are jobs, those are people, okay. and that's business that the company's not getting because they just went too hard too fast, sure. and, and it hurt, and it's still hurting them. So, so what... So what do we do instead? I mean, if, if we can start from the assumption that we do want to do energy better than we ever have. We want clean energy, but there are other pieces we want. What are the things that we should be talking about when we think about energy policy that will help us best meet the needs of our members at Cherryland going forward? First, obviously, we've we got to keep reliability in the forefront. Is whatever the policy is, it is a 10% RPS or a 15 RPS, is that going to help me reliability? keep my reliability where it needs to be. And I think everybody can agree on that. So I'm going to interrupt you real quick and say, our, for people who don't know what the RPS is, it's the Renewable Portfolio Standard. It's just a different type of mechanism to get people to incorporate more renewables in that it allows you to pay market prices, but it requires you to meet a particular target. So right. here in Michigan, we have all utilities have to provide 10% of their electricity from renewable sources by 2015. Yeah. So, so that's you, RPS. Yep. So you take care of reliability. So everybody's got their power on. Then the next obvious one is affordability. If, if we're going to add more wind, more solar, more biomass, whatever the renewable is, uh, can I keep my rates affordable? You know, um, in 2006, Wolverine Power Cooperative, where we purchase all our power from, they partnered with John Deere Wind Energy and got a good price on a commercial wind farm before any state mandates. And since this, when the state mandates came on two years later, we saw wind prices go up because they now knew we had to take it. We could work out a deal in 2006 because John Deere wanted to take advantage of some federal tax credits. But the mandate comes in, in 2008, uh, prices for wind go sky high. Well, we're now seeing some wind prices go down because the federal tax credits may go away. So there's kind of a little bit of a fire sale going on with wind right now. So that's helping us do a little more on wind. I, I th I'm confident we're going to exceed our RPS. We could be, Cherryland's portfolio could be 16 to 18% renewable by 2016, depending on some wind deals that are in, in the works right now. So that speaks to the affordability message. We have to, we can do it better. We can do it cleaner if we can get a decent price. And I'm always in favor of letting the market decide that price and not the government. Well, and, and part of the reason we're able to do that is because, and you've said this several times throughout the podcast, but because we are incorporating them slowly, which allows us to mm -hmm. make sure we have all the other pieces in place, right? That the grid is ready for it, that the uh, other forms of backup generation are ready for right. it. And that allows us to have some some cost stability and reliability stability that, that that maybe they didn't have in Germany. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the third thing on my want list or the lessons learned from Germany is let's do wind and solar reasonably uh, on a slowly ease it into the grid. We can't have a bunch of incentives that we build too much too fast and, and we have problems. And... Uh, 
Well, and so we already kind of talked about this, but part of what happens when we do it slowly is that we get to plan for a grid that can handle it. Because one of the things with intermittent forms of power is it requires us to then be moving power greater distances, different distances. You know, one of the complexities we have here in Michigan is that we're, we're a, a bit of a peninsula state. We are right? a peninsula state. So there aren't a lot of ways to get electricity into Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, so potentially improving some of our transmission between the lower and upper peninsulas, maybe even up into Canada, so we could be pulling hydro and wind from there. So thinking about what kinds of transmission grid upgrades need to happen for us to keep these other, other pieces yeah. in place. Yeah, you need to... Yeah. If you want to be 15% renewable or 20% renewable as a nation, you, you have to get out in front of that and, and look at the transmission grid. And you also have to look at the natural gas grid as well, you know, because a lot of these renewables are going to be backed up with gas because that's the, the hot energy right now because the price is low. Uh, we have, we're finding a lot of supply in the country. But we have to look at our infrastructure. We're not going to be able to sustain a large growth of solar and wind if we don't have the gas supply. We had trouble getting gas supply to a peaking plant that Wolverine owns this, this winter because there was so much demand for natural gas. So we can't just talk about the electrical grid, which certainly we need to focus on, but there is a, a, the natural gas component that has to back up this stuff as well. Well, and it's interesting because you, you talked about natural natural gas and our resources here. Because I think another piece that our energy policy really needs to get at is energy security, right? And to what extent to, to what extent can we use the resources that are abundant here? And we have a lot of them across the United States. Yeah, more than we thought we had so to ten what years ago. Absolutely, and 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 both both abundant fossil fuel resources and in different areas abundant. Uh, renewable resources as well, right? Um, so how do we use those things to be as energy independent and energy secure as possible? Because I don't, sometimes I worry that we spend a lot of time when we talk energy policy, talking environmental policy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's not important, but I, I'd like us also to have some conversations about energy security when we talk energy policy. Yeah, and, and when I think energy security, I, I think of the fact we export, or we're talking about exporting more of our energy. For every president for the last 40 years has talked about being energy dependent. And now we have a massive supply of natural gas and we have abundant supply of coal and oil. We're talking about exporting oil. I, I want to keep all that. That's my, my <laughs> policy thing is, we have that energy in this country. Let's keep that energy in this country. I understand we can, companies can make money. We can generate some jobs if we export more. But if we truly want to be energy independent, we, we have to export less natural gas, coal, and oil. And that's, that's I just believe in that strongly because I, I see more and more policies being shifted towards, well, let's just export it. We got a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the, look back at the history of natural gas, for example. It has a very volatile history, and it's simple econ 101. You know, we don't need a lot of business master's degrees to tell us that it's supply and demand. If we reduce the supply while our demand is going up, and we know our demand for natural gas is going to go up because we're building less coal, we're putting on more wind and, and solar, so we know the demand for natural gas is going to go up. We should not be shipping it across the country because the price is going to go up. And the only people that are going to pay for that increased price is the consumer. The consumer at home is going to pay more and our manufactured goods. And we're going to have export issues with the, the widgets that we make and ship overseas like Germany did if, if we export too much. Sure, because what we really want is the 
60% loss of energy-intensive industries that left Germany, we'd like them to come to Michigan, right? We, we would, and they will come if we have affordable electricity. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've written about affordability, and some people listen to this podcast and say, well, he's just doing a podcast so we can talk about <laughs> affordability. But that's the key for us. You know, we're serving 11 meters per mile at Sherland Electric Cooperative, and, you know, consumers in DTE, like I've talked about before, and I'll talk about again, they're serving 30, 40, 50 meters per mile. We have to have affordability, and we have to have that for all the co-ops in the nation, and that is all revolves around supply and demand, and our demand is going up. We, what was our, our conservation? We have an energy conservation mandate in Michigan, too. We essentially took 400 homes off the grid in the form of energy conservation conservation measures at Cherryland Electric Cooperative in 2013. And yet we still sold more electricity than the year before. We saw like a percent and a half growth in electric sales. So we know the demand is going up at least at our cooperative. Well, and, and I mean, think worldwide, it's arguable that demand is going up, right? People lead increasingly energy intensive lifestyles, areas that maybe didn't used to have energy infrastructure mm -hmm. now do. We're bringing, we're bringing more people online yep. and population is just growing mm -hmm. rapidly. Yep. So the, the, we can't just, we can't just make policies that let us get to where we are today. We have to make policies that think about where our demand is going to be in the future yeah, as well. And I read somewhere the other day that one third of the CO2 output in, in the world comes from the United States. That means two thirds of the CO2 being emitted comes from other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to do all we can to re reduce our CO2 here. And that's great. But yet at the same time, we're shipping coal somewhere else so they can burn it in a coal plant. That makes no sense to me. Let's keep that. We can do coal cleaner and better here. Let's keep that coal here and and we'll help out the whole world at the same time, I believe. So anything else you think we need to see out of our energy policy? Out of our energy policy based on the lessons we learned in Germany? Uh, I think we've covered a lot of it. Well, we, we didn't talk about the market. Well, we did, we did the, the FIT tariffs. That's government setting a price. You know, if, if solar and wind want to compete and displace coal, they, they should do that on their own merits and not be subsidized for the government. So I, I would not be in favor of the federal tax credits continuing. And let's just let everybody, let's let the market decide. You know, it, if wind can compete with coal, the, the utilities have proven they'll do it. You know, Wolverine's doing it right now. Uh, if we can keep natural gas cheap, we can put in more solar and we can back that up with natural gas. So um, just let the market decide. It's always going to be the market. Let's leave the government out of setting prices for the commodities that produce energy. Well, and I think ultimately what you're saying is let's let's not let the government pick winners and losers, right? Correct. And and I think certainly the case in Germany is an example of one of the, the dangers of setting false pricing mm -hmm. for particular forms right. of generation over others. Yep. Right. Um, that 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 hurt them that that one of the implications or kind of consequences of that policy was we talked about kind of all these really big numbers that are getting passed on to their ratepayers, mm -hmm. and that's all tied back to yeah the pricing structure and and, and paying more than what it's worth absolutely to, to their defense they had no model to follow yep um, we have no defense now we we have the germany model to follow which mm -hmm. Let's look and see where it went wrong and, and try to do it better. And where it went wrong right out of the gate was too much too fast. And they're still reeling from that. Well, I think for me the takeaway is just that it, 
it, we can want to do things better and cleaner than we ever have, but I also think we have to make sure that our kind of primary guiding thing is how do we make this transition as stable as possible? Mm -hmm. So as we continue to shift our, because our portfolio is shifting as well in terms of just bringing in more natural gas. Even right. that, we have to be asking questions of stability and reliability and affordability. So mm -hmm. always kind of this abiding question of stability, because I think that's what matters to most average people in their homes when they flip well, their lights on. Yep, stability, reliability. And, and that's our mission is reliability first. Yeah. I think I think we're doing pretty good at good job at it right now. Right now. We were <laughs> 99.99 last month. Uh, so, yeah, very good. Okay. I think that's a wrap for Energy Talk. Podcast number two. Podcast number two at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. If you haven't already, you should subscribe to the feed so that you get updated when we release our next podcast. Thanks a lot for listening.